Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. This week, we'll be talking about which characters' companion stories we'd be most interested in reading and why. So think of Midnight Sun. Yes, the Twilight spinoff. Twilight from Edward's perspective. Today, we'll talk about the stories we want to see from the world of Harry Potter during the Harry Potter timeline. We want our own Midnight Suns over here in the Harry Potter fandom. But first, there is a little news item I wanted to bring up. It's it's kind of insider baseball behind the scenes, but I thought it was pretty significant. Warner Brothers has appointed a television exec to head up the growth of the Harry Potter franchise. He's going to be in charge of expanding the Wizarding World property for the studio's various outlets and platform partners. They didn't make any announcements today, but this guy... I don't know how to pronounce his last name, so I'm just going to call him Tom. Mm. Uh, He's been involved in Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network. He's also currently president of Kids, Young Adults, and Classics at Warner Brothers. And he's going to be reporting directly to the head of Warner Media and Sarnoff. So what this tells me, the fact that they appointed a television exec to head up the Wizarding World franchise and expanding it, that tells me... They want to create some Harry Potter TV shows. Yep. Would seem so. It was inevitable. Is it Tom Riddle? <laughs> it is Tom Riddle, head of Harry Potter. <laughs> I think it's Tom Ashaim. Ashim. Ashaim. Ashim. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Tomato, tomato. But an anagram for, yeah, Tom A. <laughs> an anagram for what? A uh, Marvelo Riddle Voldemort <gasps> thing. Yeah. Any potential TV project is probably still years away. And they might come up with ideas and then decide they're not great ideas and try to come up with other ideas. So we're still in the very early days. But, you know, by episode 800 of MuggleCast, I think we'll be talking about at least (laughs) one Harry Potter TV series. And thank goodness, right? Because uh, it'll be great to have some new official Harry Potter content to talk about on a weekly basis. that Tom probably couldn't have really talked about too much, but... The article was a little light. A lot of it was spent on J.K. Rowling and and Johnny Depp, but I would have hoped maybe he could have teased something. I know it's just the announcement of him taking over this role, but for Potter fans, we're hungry for stuff. Oh, Micah. Well, why don't you send him an email? I will. Tom at WarnerBrothers.com. I'm going to reach out. I'm just thinking, you guys, you know how Disney Plus, they drop new episodes midnight thursday night going into friday Mm. so you know if we ever get a harry potter tv series and it's on hbo max are we gonna like watch the episode at midnight and then record at 2 a.m that'd be kind of fun gosh that'd be great like the old days (laughs) for my sleep patterns especially (laughs) i'll I'll be in pain eric and laura will be living for it oh my god it would be uh, a good excuse to be a night owl i mean i (laughs) already do that anyway i don't know about you eric yeah I wake up like 20 minutes before the show every time. (laughs) (laughs) I will say the one quote from Mr. Ashaim includes this uh, sentence. I look forward to going even further in exploring and expanding all the opportunities we have in this incredible world. Mm. Yeah. If Disney Plus, we said this a couple weeks ago when the big announcement was made about like 10 new Star Wars series and all this other thing. It's like, I think we'll probably get a, a straight up adaptation tv series but i wouldn't be surprised if we also got like the saint mungo's er type series or gray's anatomy you know like and and other like peripheral 
TV shows as well. Yeah, there's a market for it. And what excites me most about this, again, is, you know, opening up the world and letting other creators come in and play in the sandbox. Right, exactly. And we are absolutely going to see that with this. And Eric, you mentioned 10 Star Wars series. Disney's also working on I think, an equal number of Marvel series. And just this week, we found out that HBO is developing a bunch of Game of Thrones spinoffs. So this is what we're going to be seeing in the world of Harry Potter. A lot of spinoffs. Dunkin' Egg in production. Oh, finally. It's about time. Such a silly name. (sighs) Oh, Andrew, you'll love it. You should read The Hedge Knight. You're going to love it. Andrew, I'm looking right now. It's really good. Should I connect with Tom on LinkedIn? (laughs) Oh, Micah. I'm checking out his profile right now. You should. You're with your day job. You he'll like think you're like you know an insider and like that's you know, true. Probably give you more advice. We do have three mutual connections. Wow, somebody from the NBA wants to. Yeah, you have me? mutual connections. Yeah. That's what I'm talking. Micah's like hooked up. Wow, <gasps> we have an in. Wow, we do yeah. Cool. So he's gonna think that it's a professional connection, and then Micah's gonna be like, <laughs> actually, I want to talk to you <laughs> about you my Harry podcast? Potter podcast. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, watch this space. Things are in the works. Also, I just wanted to provide an update on the wand choosing ceremony at Universal. Last week, I said they leaned towards picking children during that wand choosing show at the theme parks. Caitlin wrote in and a couple others did as well. Um, She said, just a quick insider's reaction to the Ollivander's wand experience discussion. I worked at the wand experience for two years in Orlando and the wand keepers did pick adults all the time. There were a bunch of different wand keepers who each had their own styles and preferences. Some chose little kids. Others chose kids around age 11, like Harry was. And others preferred to choose an openly excited adult, knowing it would be such a memorable experience for them. The advantage to choosing an adult was that they were more willing to play along and follow instructions without much teeth pulling, which made for a better show. Super shy kids were impossible to work with. I was actually chosen once myself and somehow... The wand that chose me was exactly the wand I would have chosen for myself. Holly and unicorn hair. So basically, a couple wrote, a couple people wrote in to correct what I had said. They pick older people as well. So adults like us, you still have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> it's never too late. All right. So let's dive into this week's main discussion. And Laura, you kind of led the charge on this one. You and I, we used to be Twilight fans back in the day. Yes, we did. And author Stephanie Meyer published four books in the Twilight series. And uh, during that whole, the publication of that series, she had teased that she had written Twilight from Edward's perspective. She called it Midnight Sun. And a lot of people were excited about it because it's Edward Cullen. Wait, Hmm? whose perspective is it normally from? Bella's. Bella's. Bella Swan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. It's actually so I won't say how I came by it, but when Midnight Sun, when the first, you know, half or so leaked, I read it. I was pretty involved in liking the the film series and reading the books for the first time. And I read the part of Midnight Sun and I thought it was masterful. And I had never seen that kind of thing before, where it's a story you know, but from just like a character and then, you know, the other character. Right. <laughs> the yeah. Other lead. It was a cool idea. And so like Eric mentioned, it did leak. And Stephanie Meyer was very upset that it leaked. And uh, she was like, well, I'll finally finish it at some point, you know, down the road. It got to the point where we really thought it was never going to be published because <laughs> yeah. of so much time. It's it like passed. 15 years later. <laughs> right. And uh, finally, 
in 2020, she decided to publish Midnight Sun. And I was honestly so excited because <laughs> we had just been waiting for it for so long. I never thought it was going to come. And then, you know, 2020 was a pretty awful year. I think Midnight Sun was one of the best things to happen in 2020, personally. Wow. Um, I did buy it. I haven't finished reading it. I don't think, Laura, you have either, right? Nope. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, we're, we're going to get to it at some point. We're we, bad no. fans. And you know what happens. It's even longer than Twilight, too. It's yeah, like... Edward is very <laughs> verbose. Like, he just yeah. goes on and on. And I'm like, okay, I get it, sir. <laughs> Calm down. He has a lot to say. One question. Do you think this was something that she had written at the very beginning and was just kind of holding it? Do you think maybe she started writing the series from his perspective? I just think that it was an interesting avenue for her to go down. I don't think that she had originally started writing the series from anyone else's perspective but Bella's because, remember, her inspiration for the series was a dream she had about these two young people sitting in a meadow together. And I'm pretty sure she resonated more with Bella as a character in terms of like whose perspective to tell the story from first. Yeah. It was a character study. I think that was why. Yeah. It's a heck of a, to, yeah, it's right a heck of a cool thing to like creatively test yourself to be like, yeah. okay, so what was exactly what really thinking there? Yeah. And Midnight Sun was very popular when it was released officially and even when it leaked. So it made us wonder what companion stories would we like to see from the world of Harry Potter? And obviously, the core series is very rich and detailed, and these characters are very well fleshed out. But whether it's the original author or another author, they could go so much further in fleshing Mm -hmm. out these stories. Three of the four of the hosts have sort of narrowed the scope on this discussion. Is that right? Yes. So... I was going to save this for later, but Laura's idea was to focus on characters during Sorcerer's Stone. And I had read those instructions, but for some reason it didn't register with me. So later in the episode, we'll get to mine, and they are not set within the timeline of Sorcerer's Stone. I apologize. Because this, this is part of our celebration of Sorcerer's Stone turning 20 this year. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, we wanted to keep the party going. Well, I'll be seeing myself out. I'll talk to you all <laughs> no, during 499. No, I... I I texted you or, or was it on Slack? I said, look, those are actually really great companion stories that you came up exactly. with, I thought. Okay. I, I, w- I would have liked the opportunity to go beyond Sorcerer's Stone, but look, we all have to start at the beginning. <laughs> and uh, one one other thing I was going to say, though, because uh, I just looked it up, and it's worth mentioning since you were talking about Stephanie Meyer, you actually interviewed her back on episode... 156 of MuggleCast. So we have had authors on this show before. Yes, not the Harry Potter one, but we did have the Twilight author here on (laughs) MuggleCast. (laughs) What year was that? It was 2008, August 7th. And uh, you were talking Breaking Dawn. Breaking Dawn. Yeah, that was the year Breaking Dawn came out and the first Twilight movie. That was a big year for Twilight fans. It really was. Well, and we had a Twilight podcast, but I think we did. I guess Stephanie's preference was to come on this podcast. <laughs> well, because she wanted to reach new fans, you know, she's right, preaching to the right. choir. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It was yeah. just funny. Yeah. And, and by the way, I'm very proud of my role within the Twilight fandom. It was a great time. The Twilight fandom was awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, Laura and I worked on a fan site called TwilightSource.com, and we had the companion podcast imprint. Okay. So anyway, let's get back to our discussion here. <laughs> right. I, I did have a quick question, though. Are there other book series that have done this? I know 
Fifty Shades, the Twilight spinoff, did this as well. Author E.L. James. Yeah, but she just copies everything Stephanie Meyer does. So yeah. I'm not interested. Well, and, and wasn't Fifty Shades originally a Twilight fan fiction? So it's yeah. like, yes. it's like that was it's... like a roadmap to do that. Yeah. By the way, E.L. James will be on episode 500 of MuggleCast. Look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. I was, <laughs> you know, one series that came to mind when you were talking earlier is A Song of Ice and Fire. And, and just because of the way that it's written. It, it it is kind of as if you're getting all of the different perspectives at once though as opposed to it being because that whole series is not necessarily from one person's perspective it's from multiple characters perspectives just throughout and that that's just one that I thought of mm, okay there's a couple of books that are like not by the original author different perspective but like so for instance um there's something called Juliet's nurse so it's Romeo and Juliet but it's from the perspective of the nurse that keeps her secrets. Uh, so there's, there's been like a really like, uh, there's a Peter Pan book from Tiger Lily's perspective. Okay. The most famous one is Tom Stoppard's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Uh, and that was actually adapted into a movie with Tim Roth, who was going to be Severus Snape in Harry Potter and Gary Oldman, Sirius Black in Harry Potter. That's probably the most well-known um, version. It's a play, like I said, but it's actually Hamlet from... <laughs> the the two minor characters in the background telling the story of Hamlet. Okay. I think Steve Buscemi's in that too. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. I know that there is also um, for anyone who ever had to read Beowulf like several times between high school and college. It seems like that was the go to. Um, there is a book written from the perspective of Grendel, Ooh. the monster. Okay, cool. It's not something that hasn't happened before, but I think especially in YA fiction, it was a pretty unique thing to do. Yeah. So we appreciate the inspiration, Stephanie. Yeah. So why don't you kick us off, Laura? Yeah. So basically, here's how we formatted this. We wanted to pick two characters from the first book of the Potter series, or at least three of us did. And we wanted to... <laughs> I mean, I'm just kidding. I'm just There's still time, that. Andrew. You're going last. No, I enjoyed mine so much that I Yours decided are really to good. Yours are really good. But eventually we could probably talk about those books too. Yeah, yeah. And they... Well, that's the thing. Andrew is supporting the idea that this could be an ongoing series that we do. Right. You're welcome. <laughs> so we wanted to pick two characters from the first book and highlight some moments that we would just like to see that we know happened either on screen or off during the first book from that character's perspective. And it wouldn't necessarily have to be a companion novel. It could be a companion short story. I know some of these characters don't have a ton of screen time in the book, so there may not be enough to fill a full companion novel. But we also wanted to name each of our stories um, from the point of view of the character. Um, so I'm going to kick off with my uh, alternate telling from the perspective of Professor Quirrell. It's called uh, Quirinus Quirrell and the Worst Roommate Ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, first of all, we need some kind of flashback scene showing Quirrell coming across Voldemort. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, how did they come to meet each other? Like, we know, like, the general broad description of how this happened on Quirrell's travels while he was taking some time to get practical experience in his 
area of study that he could bring back to Hogwarts and that Voldemort showed him that there is only power and those too weak to seek it. It makes sense that Voldemort would want to leech onto Quirrell. He wanted to get to Hogwarts. He knew Harry would be going there. But we also know that after Quirrell failed to get the Philosopher's Stone from Gringotts, that Voldemort decided he needed to keep a closer eye on him. (laughs) Two eyes. And Yeah, and I just, I want to know what that conversation (laughs) looked like. (laughs) Like, how did they come to the decision that, yeah, I'm going to chill on the back of your head (laughs) and you're going to wrap me up in a turban? Yeah, that would be a interesting conversation for sure, because I wonder if Quirrell pushed back at all. Like, no, I don't want you on the back of my head. I need some privacy. Right. Or like, can't we just like, I mean, I, I assume he was some sort of like fetal being similar to what he was at the end of Deathly Hallows, mm-hmm. right? In the King's Cross chapter. Like he was like, can I just like make like a Hermione bag? It's got like, <laughs> it's like a pocket dimension. Just put you in there. Yeah. Just can I just report hang out? You'll to you be daily? Safe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm also interested in the internal dialogue between the two. I know I'm taking this to a humorous place, but I think that there is a lot of potential here. I'm envisioning for comic book fans, like an Eddie Brock Venom type situation oh. where they have this like internal dialogue inside Quirrell's head and Voldemort is like persistently trolling Quirrell all the time. You know, I've only seen a couple of those uh, comics, but it's a- always amazing when you do because they'll have Eddie like looking horrified, but in his, th- then it'll show Venom's like actual, because it's like the Venom within, but they'll show Venom saying, you know, like talking to him and making like outrageous claims and Eddie's like horrified, but then Venom's like wearing his suit. So it's, it's like whatever. It's like really cool visual for like the monster within. Very Jekyll and Hyde also. Yeah, exactly. And this would also allow us to see, I think Quirrell, you know, it's part of his development throughout the first book. You know, he's initially we hear Hagrid talking about him and he's very bookish and well-respected in the field, well-read, very intelligent. And by the end of the book, he's trying to kill an 11-year-old. Yeah. So it would be really interesting to see that character arc and how Voldemort influenced it. Um, There are certain moments that I would love to see. Of course, Quirrell letting the troll in at Halloween. I just kind of wonder whose idea that was. (laughs) (laughs) Voldemort's. Yeah. (laughs) I can see Quirrell like, holding the troll's hand, walking it into the dungeon, and then just oh. leaving it. <laughs> he does. He did admit to having a way with them. Yeah, yeah, he's gifted with them. <laughs> but I wonder if he's gifted with them because of Voldemort. Remember, the trolls are not exactly a group that gets a lot of fanfare um, or rights from mainstream wizarding society Mm -hmm. so we've talked before about how voldemort can really speak to members of wizarding society who have felt you know disenfranchised Mm -hmm. or abused and so i wonder if having voldemort on his side gave Quirrell a leg up when it came to having a way with trolls like they're just these little nuances that we could learn more about um There's also that moment when Harry makes eye contact with Snape and his scar starts burning. He thinks it's because he's looking at Snape, but it's actually because the back of Quirrell's head is facing him. 
And I would love to see that moment where Voldemort's like, there he is, <laughs> like for the first time in 11 years. Um, burn, baby, he, burn. Yeah. Burn. No, I mean, he he literally thinks this is like his redemption mm-hmm. arc. Like he's he's like, this is round two. Here we go. This is my yeah. chance. Yeah. I'll see you in eight months. <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, there's the bucking broomstick incident from mm-hmm. Coral Mort's point of view and the fact that Hermione is the only reason that Harry didn't get bucked off the broom because she knocked him over. <laughs> <laughs> well, just going back to when you're talking about the inner dialogue, I wonder, too, how much, if any, pushback there was in moments from Quirrell himself. Like, does his conscience ever come into play or is Voldemort just completely consumed him? by the time he returns to Hogwarts. Mm. Yeah, I'd also like to see kind of not to get in like too much into it, but the the health effects of having, you know, possession is always described as like something to be avoided. It's not really natural. It's not, you know, you're not supposed to have two souls in one person. And I'd like to think like, you know, maybe Kroll like started getting nosebleeds or <laughs> um maybe like a rash. You know? <laughs> it's like kind of manage it like, you know, the day to day it's it's like when you're pregnant, you got to eat more because you're yeah. feeding the baby too. Like yeah, you're eating, eating more. for two. Yeah, <laughs> don't I wonder smoke, if Voldemort don't drink. affected. God. I wonder if Voldemort affected Quirrell's uh, appetite or eating habits. Oh wait, he did because unicorn blood. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh man, I have a hankering for unicorn blood. Where did this come from? I guess I got to go get some. Darn. Yeah. <laughs> it's also an interesting observation that this would have been the closest that. Tom Riddle ever got to teaching defense against the dark arts, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's something he always wanted to do. So it would be interesting to experience that from Quirrell's point of view. Like he's teaching defense against the dark arts and he's got like the darkest wizard of all time living on the back of his head, correcting him the whole time or like mocking him. Yeah. Right. Cause I, I cannot imagine that Quirrell's, um, teaching style would be the same as Voldemort's. So the curse should be broken, technically. (laughs) But uh, one other moment that came to mind for me that I think would be really cool, too, is when Snape heads off Quirrell and just Mm -hmm. hearing from Voldemort what he's thinking in that moment, knowing that one of his most trusted Death Eaters is is trying to, you know, mess up his plans. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I suppose Snape had some plausible deniability at that point because he could just later tell Voldemort, like, hey, I didn't know you were on the back of the guy's head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I thought you were gone. Right, right. And he says as much during uh, the Spinner's End chapter, I think he says. Yeah. yeah. That the Darkler was satisfied with his excuses. So I actually did say Severus Snape would be an amazing character to see uh, the events of the first book through, um, partly because of this whole Voldemort interaction, right? Severus Snape was the Death Eater that, uh, you know, conveyed the prophecy to Voldemort. He wanted him to succeed uh, and has kind of unknowingly to Voldemort been now tasked with working against him. And, you know, just the level of internal struggle, Dumbledore has made Snape pledge to do everything in his power to make things right, to protect Harry whenever Harry comes to Hogwarts. We saw that scene in um, the pensive at the end of Deathly Hallows. But this first year of Harry's existence at Hogwarts is the real test. 
where Snape is actually and actively put up against uh, this threat to Harry's safety. And so like the broomstick bucking scene is just one example, but here's a moment where Snape either has to put up or shut up. And Harry is still the son of Snape's greatest rival. And we see this come out in all of the years at Hogwarts that Snape still has a capacity to become pretty much unhinged by the memory of James Potter. And so, you know, this this seeing Harry, I, I can see if we had a Severus Snape story, we would see him struggle with, you know, God, he looks like James. It's just awful. I can't stand this. But Lily's eyes, maybe if I just focus on Harry's eyes, I'll be able to get it done. But all this sort of struggle that Snape's going through as he's actively having to protect Harry and suss out like a villain at Hogwarts in one of his coworkers is probably going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, I completely agree. That inner monologue as Harry's in his first year there would be very interesting. And I, gosh, this would be something I think fans have kind of been clamoring for for so long because they want to understand Snape's feelings towards Lily and Harry, the true feelings. And of course, I think this book would probably redeem Snape in a lot of ways because you would understand him better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And and so, you know, we have a little bit of the the scene where he confronts Quirrell in the forest, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Harry's on his broomstick kind of overhearing it. You don't want me as your enemy, I think he says. Um, or no, it's the final one where he's like, uh, there's like a deadline associated with it. And Harry then takes that to mean that Snape is going to it's like all all guns ablazing going to get into the trap door. So it, it's just the slow escalation um of the rivalry between snape and quirrell the fact that snape what was he doing in the third floor corridor you know how did he get bit what did it feel like (laughs) these are the questions i want to know which of fluffy's heads bit snape's leg and did you share this title no i didn't and here it is severus snape and the suspicious co-worker nice very much true i would read that what i really like about these first two suggestions is that they're both from adult perspectives as opposed to, you know, Harry grows into an adult throughout the series. But right. there's something about seeing this series or just this book through the lens of an adult, right? especially one like Snape. Yeah, yeah. and we do get mm-hmm. a taste of this later during The Prince's Tale, um, where we see Snape and Dumbledore interacting over the years, and we get some of it from Philosopher's Stone. Um, but it's just so intriguing and it, it just feels like a nugget of the kind of information that we would love to get from Snape's perspective during this time. Like, I just think, too, about sort of like the mental health implications of teaching a child whose parents are dead because of you. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like simultaneously guilty because you loved his mother but then you hated his dad and so you kind of hate him and it's just that is a whole twisted you know messed up i know that we have listeners to this podcast that are teachers so if you're a teacher and you actually killed one of your students parents (laughs) and then taught that student write in let us know what that was like um (laughs) gosh but actually no more realistically if you if you've if you're a teacher and you teach at the same school you grew up in or whatever, and you had to teach a child of one of your bullies, 
let like seriously that must happen fairly commonly it's a good point if you get a job in the same school district so if that if there's somebody out there for for whom this rings true please write in just you know we'll keep your identity a secret but about the struggle (laughs) about what that was like um it'd be very interesting yeah i mean we don't need to get into this yeah but i feel like you know you grow up you kind of age out of that animosity and whatnot so yeah hopefully yeah. they can see past it but yeah if you have experienced that let us know I'd be interested well speaking of bullies i can give my uh first character <laughs> i love this this is a good one i uh went with draco and uh the title draco malfoy and the boy who snubbed me i was thinking <laughs> Ooh, austin so powers true. and the spy who shagged me so that's what inspired <laughs> that uh <laughs> that title but uh yeah i always think it's interesting to see it through the eyes of the antagonist and really for this book i know voldemort comes into play at the end but but draco is is the antagonist throughout and right seeing just how all of the events of the first book unfold from draco's perspective that initial encounter that he has with Harry at Madame Malkin's, but doesn't really yet know who Harry is. Um, but more importantly, after Harry snubs Draco on the Hogwarts Express in front of Ron, right? It's it's the initial rejection. A lot of it stems from their conversation in Madame Malkin's. He has a sense of who Draco is, but uh, everything that unfolds from there. You know, I like the idea of being able to spend time in the Slytherin common room, yeah. you know, redirect correspondences between Draco and Lucius, uh, maybe even get some of those early conversations between Draco and Snape. Ooh, yeah. To me, it, it's just uh, it's it's a totally different perspective, and who knows how things may have been different if. Harry had decided to join Draco and be in Slytherin. That's probably a whole different series. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I often wonder, you know, would they be friends or would they have become greater rivals, just kind of both going for power within Slytherin? And would Draco have ended up being more envious of Harry at the end of the day? They both have an ego on them. So there would be an interesting duel there. But which of them would win Crab and Goyle's loyalty? Hopefully, Draco. <laughs> I would say whoever emerged as the quote unquote superior. Oh, one of the two of the them, alpha. Crab and Goyle, are just opportunists. Because well, Midnight Sun, if I'm remembering correctly, and I read it, you know, when it was leaked like ten or longer years ago, but the, it really did uh, good work um, fleshing out some of the other Cullen siblings. Um, yes. There's more Alice. There's more um, God. What's who's the brother? Um, Emmett Jasper. Jasper. Yeah, but also Emmett. Yeah, you really you really find out a little bit more of the Cullens because as they're relating to M- M- uh, Edward versus putting on a show for Bella or explaining it. So we would presumably, if we got a show from or a, a book from Draco's perspective, also understand a bit more about Crab and Goyle. Our only real insight into them as characters was given to us in, I think, the second movie. So it would be really interesting and in, in kind of you couldn't get away from explaining what Draco's relationship to them is and how he sort of controls them if they are really as like silent as they're portrayed in other media. Yeah. 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 It's a good point. This also makes me wonder if uh, we would see 
Lucius Malfoy encouraging Draco before his first year at Hogwarts to seek out Harry and try to get him on their side. Mm, oh my God, that absolutely happened. I'm sure it did. Hmm. It, it, yeah, yes. it had to have because they don't know if he's not a secret dark wizard still at that point. Right. That's a great point. And, and I think too, just getting inside of his head and, and, seeing what's going on in his in his mind throughout this entire book is he being pressured by his father is he constantly failing to achieve what his father wants him to what's his relationship like with his mother crab goyle you mentioned snape yeah it it definitely would be a very interesting perspective to read sorcerer's stone through so the second character i chose was forens and mm. I call this story Ferenz and the colonists who can't get their ish together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that this would be like a shorter companion story. I'm not sure how much there would be to dive into here, but I'm most interested in learning what Ferenz and the other centaurs saw in the heavens, Mm. Um, especially with regards to like Harry and the second wizarding war. Um, because we see Bane and Ronan, for example, heavily imply that Harry's in trouble and it's not their place to intervene. We see this after Friends saves him from Quarrel Mort, who's drinking the unicorn blood at the time. Um, and Bane and Ronan are like, hey, we've seen what's written in the stars. It is not our place to interfere with what the heavens have planned. And I would be very curious, almost like a what if perspective, kind of like um, what some of you have touched on already, like how could the series have been different had, you know, the plans that were written in the stars played out as intended. Yeah. Oh, man. And I, I would love the insight into their culture and society. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you would really figure out how friends, you know, butts heads with everyone else, why he feels differently, why he feels that intervening in to some extent is warranted. Um, Cause he's, he's the outcast within the group and yeah, it would just be pretty amazing. Yeah. And I would also just be interested to learn how Ferenz sort of developed a very natural empathy and like a very natural tolerance to humans turning up in his forest, right? The <laughs> fact that yeah, this yeah. later leads him to become Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher at right, Hogwarts. Right. And he's scorned by his entire community for doing it. And I would just be very interested to know like what happened in Ferenz's life that gave him this broader perspective on yeah. life outside the forest. And what also intrigues me about this book is the setting, because the ones we've spoken about so far would mm-hmm. be primarily at Hogwarts, but this would take place in the forest. And yes. presumably the forest is vast and there's lots that we don't know about it yet. So this would really open up another world for us. I mean, I was thinking maybe the reason Franz is so empathetic is because he had like a really good mother. Um, but thinking about that got me thinking, oh, my God, women centaurs. We would actually see. Female centaurs, who I don't think we've we've seen in the Harry Potter books. Right. No, that's a really good point. And also just the relationships that Ferenz has with Hagrid, with Dumbledore. Mm. How did those come about in the first place? Exactly. I would love to see, finally, um, the conversation that Harry and Ferenz had in the forest from Ferenz's point of view. Yeah. 
because he like doesn't directly answer Harry's questions. He's sort of like leading him to the answer. Yeah, he's and he knows about the stone. He knows mm-hmm. about the, like what's going on. So either Dumbledore told him or Ferenz is extra gifted at insight through the stars. Or Hagrid let it slip. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> that more likely. Might have happened. That's more likely. He I probably should not have it. said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of creatures, Eric, you have a uh, part creature. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> that's a good transition. Yeah. Um. Uh. I actually went for a character. Okay. So there are events that happen in the first book that I think surely Remus Lupin would have been involved in or inspired to reach out by. So although there's no Lupin in book one, I want the book one timeline story told from Remus Lupin's perspective. So I've called it Remus Lupin and everything's fine here um, because I feel like he'd reach out to Dumbledore and be like, hey, um, you know, we know that the son of uh, my school best friend is coming to school this year. Do you need any help with like, security you're guarding the stone like i you know i'm really good at defense against the dark arts i know i'm not a teacher or anything yet but you need any help with that and the dumbledore would just be like nope we got it it's cool it's fine um (laughs) don't worry about it and then remus would like be reading the newspaper over morning coffee and see that gringotts had a break-in you know it's just like i feel like these people that weren't introduced in until later books like and surely somebody like remus existed in J.K. Rowling's mind at the time. I feel like Remus would at least have sent a letter to Dumbledore going, hey, you need any help this year? Like, I got nothing (laughs) on right now. Like, I'm just like, what is what is Lupin doing? I guess that's the one question this book would answer. What's Lupin doing two years before he comes to Hogwarts? What's so important? And or uh, why has he not at least asked for an introduction to meet Harry? Because, you know, so many other people Doris Crockford and Daedalus Diggle are able to meet Harry after all this time, but he would immediately have someone that was super close to his parents to kind of ground him. And why didn't Dumbledore make like that introduction happen? I'm just looking on the uh, Harry Potter wiki and it looks like he was in Lupin was in poverty prior to becoming Hmm. a professor. Dumbledore found Lupin and uh, offered him that job. But yeah, it looks like he was pretty down and out on his luck prior to joining Hogwarts. And the really sad thing is, and it would be interesting to see this, assuming that he was impoverished, he probably wasn't getting proper or adequate health care for being a werewolf. Mm-hmm. It was pr- it probably wasn't until he got to Hogwarts and Snape was regularly preparing potions for him that he got proper health care and got his condition under control. Yeah, that's a good point. So he may have chosen to isolate himself quite a ways away from society. And maybe he wasn't reading the paper over morning coffee. Eric, what could be really interesting would be to take Lupin's story all the way back to its origin. Yeah. And, you know, from being a young child to then being bitten by Fenrir Greyback and then to Hogwarts and the years after leading up to when he finally does become Defense Against the Dark Arts professor. Yeah. I mean, he has this self-hatred streak, too. I mean, he chooses to resign from Hogwarts rather than being fired because he anticipates this uproar uh, of people. He he chooses not to stand up for himself 
and you know continue on as a teacher. He's the mo- he's the children's most beloved teacher, um, but kind of takes it for granted and decides to leave. So yeah, I'd be really interested in the psychology and how he feels about his illness. To your point, like he didn't ask for it, but he suffers from it pretty greatly. Well, speaking of professors, uh, the other character that I went with was Professor McGonagall. And uh, for the title of her book, I just went with Raising Harry. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought for Minerva, it could start out with a firsthand account of what it was like sitting on the Dursley stoop all day waiting for Dumbledore and Hagrid to show up. Also, just what it was like for her to write Harry's Hogwarts letter. I I think for her, that was probably a pretty special moment. Yeah. I'm assuming, you know, she probably does have it pretty well automated and and you know, I can envision her in her office like having a bunch of quills just writing by themselves to all the different people, but I, for Harry, I would imagine her actually taking the time to write the letter. Yeah. yeah. I could see her being like, I've always wanted to write this letter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but wait a second, like, I mean, she would have to keep writing it over and over again, right? Or would it be duplicated somehow? Are you saying because of how many actually showed up? Yeah. Yeah. At the Dursleys? Oh, that's a good point. That is yeah. a fair point. No, I just, she just wrote the first one. Yeah. And then she took it to Kinko's. She was like, <laughs> need a I lot of these. I could see her getting super pissed that, the, that Harry's not opening his letter and, you know, basically doing all the magic to to duplicate those letters and send all those owls out uh, to follow Harry around. Yeah. How did she know they were all being rejected? I guess it's just unexplainable magic. Oh, magic. Yeah. Or it's are there red re- receipts? I was, yeah, that was going to say that. <laughs> we would also get to see Harry's first year from the perspective of a Hogwarts professor and the deputy mm-hmm. headmistress of the school. It'd be cool yeah. to see how. She interacts with other professors. What's her relationship like with Dumbledore? Yeah, and she gets to um, showcase, like, she's so sick of Snape and the Slytherin streak that she kind of bends the rules to get Harry his broom, and she bends the rules to get Harry on the Quidditch team, and it's like, I want to see her take the pleasure from kind of being a little tricky there, I guess. Right. And one moment for me, or or one thing I would like to think that she did was secretly plan all along for Harry to end up on the Gryffindor Quidditch team. Not <laughs> that she just happened to see him flying outside of the window, <laughs> that it was always like she had something. Maybe it wasn't Quidditch, but she always knew that she wanted to uh, give Harry a, a leg up, so to speak, uh, mm. in his first year somehow. A master plan. Well, but just knowing that James was skilled, I think- she assumed that Harry might have the same abilities, no? That's fair. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I think that's all of the Sorcerer's Stone ones. So you know what, you guys? We've spoken a lot about Sorcerer's Stone today. So why don't we talk about some other books? Doesn't that <laughs> oh, sound great like a idea, good idea, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah, I totally am just making these up off the cuff now. Um, <laughs> so I thought... Looking at Prisoner of Azkaban, that's a very big book for Hermione because of the time turner. So a companion book I would like to see would be with Prisoner of Azkaban called Hermione Granger and the Test of Time. Hashtag alliteration. So this Mm. would be following (laughs) Hermione during book three. And I kind of see it as like an action comedy about managing life using a time turner. 
because of course by the end of the book Hermione's like this is way too much work I can't deal with this anymore <laughs> so we'd get to see her chat with McGonagall about receiving the time turner to begin with I think that would be very interesting and then we would see the the hecticness of balancing all of the classes day in and day out and then the stress of making sure there's no risk to being seen and I think we could see some scenes in which there are some very close calls. Hermione oh, might accidentally yeah. expose herself. Right. Then, of course, we would get Hermione's perspective as they deal with Sirius. And then the smaller things in the book, like ratting Harry out to McGonagall when he received the fireball. <laughs> and right. she was concerned that it was given to um, him by Sirius. And how she was dealing with Ron blaming Crookshanks for eating scabbers. And then her internal monologue when Trelawney was driving her nuts. You're right. Ooh, book three yeah, is the point. book for Hermione. I love that. It really is. And we would also get the moment where she realizes that Lupin is a werewolf. Yeah. And we would get yeah. to see that internal monologue and the decision not to say anything to Harry and Ron. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Not to mention, we'd probably see a few uh, ancient runes classes. And I've been long interested <laughs> in that as well as muggle studies, right? Those are the two classes that she has to... Uh, go back in time for if I'm remembering correctly um, you know we never really see them uh, mm. from her perspective we would yeah yeah that's and uh, that's yeah, really maybe awesome there'd be a little romance in there as well what's Hermione thinking what boys does she have a crush on does well she I'm like sure Harry? that I'm sure that she feels secure enough in her friendship with Harry and Ron by year three that she didn't think that turning in Harry's firebolt would put her on the outs with them as much as it did. So <laughs> like, I, I think that's true. Like, I think she just is shocked by how violently they react and is hurt quite a bit by it. But it would be interesting to read because like when you're in Harry's perspective, it's like, yeah, screw Hermione. She's being really annoying. Like that was, yeah. that was uncalled for. That was way in overreach. But you'll this is see one of those, her. What was yeah. Hermione thinking moments? I yeah. think. Yeah. Because of course Harry and Ron were going to react this way when Harry's firebolt is taken away. That's his Ugh. thing. Quidditch is his thing. That's his love. <laughs> yeah, but she thinks she's protecting him. I know. I know. Yeah. You know. So the other idea I had is a companion book to Order of the Phoenix, Rubius Hagrid, and the Hunts for the Huge. And <laughs> huge what? This would be also hashtag alliteration. Yes, yeah. Uh, and this would be dedicated to Hagrid and Maxime's journey to find the giants. The book could open with Dumbledore making the request, and you know it'd be interesting to see how Hagrid responded to this and how Dumbledore sold it to him because it was a it was going to be a dangerous journey no matter who it was. Then we would get their long journey across the world through the forest to get to them. I think it's said in Order of the Phoenix, Hagrid says, we couldn't just fly there out in the open. We had to go by foot. I think he says something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, then the climax of the book would be their attempts at getting through to the giants, that whole gift giving process and the patience that was required there. And then the big Golgamath carcass fight when everything goes to hell. And then Hagrid also learning his mom is no longer alive would be a very emotional moment, too. So there are several key moments for Hagrid in this side story yeah. that I think would make for a great companion book. Perfect. And how did Agreed. he get Grop back to uh, oh Hogwarts? Yeah, Grop, right. I should have added that. It's That would be very interesting, too. And then, and then you know, Maxime doesn't... Maxime doesn't like the idea of Grop coming back with them. So doesn't Maxime she decide pieces. to go home alone yeah, yeah she dips 
She did. Peace. But, but yeah, but that struggle where, you know, if you recall back to Hagrid and Maxime's first meeting where he's like, oh, how how much is your blood status? And she's like, what? Excuse me? And he's like, well, you're you're like me, right? And she's just like, excuse moi. I've never <laughs> been so offended, you know, and runs away. She won't even talk about her giantism. And then so watching her sort of emotions from Hagrid's perspective, the arguments they get into as they relate to these people they're they're related to, you know, to see her really have a line and say, this crosses the line to bring your brother, your Braja, back to Hogwarts. <laughs> um, you know, I'd, I'd just be really interested in the psychology of, yes, we want to connect with our past. It's kind of like you have that crazy aunt who's doing the family tree for everybody. You're like, oh, this is vaguely interesting. But how far would you go for that information? And that's yeah. kind of like how Hagrid and her split up. Mm -hmm. So I, I would argue when we do get to talking about these books as a whole, because Andrew, you did such a good job, we should not Aww. be able to choose those characters for yeah, that. Don't book. you dare. Of course no. not. Don't no. steal my ideas. <laughs> I can steal ideas. Somebody can break the rules. <laughs> a one person can, since yeah. I broke the rules here. It's only fair. <laughs> Laura can. You, you did have an interesting point here. Um, Andrew, nobody chose Dumbledore or Ron. <laughs> Um, and that wasn't me. I, I Somebody do... else, I think, wrote that. Okay. I, did, I did. I will say, in Ron's defense, um, I feel like Goblet of Fire would be more interesting from his perspective. Yeah. And we can definitely dive more into that at the time. But Your definitely don't book? want this to seem like we're... Yeah, it is my favorite book. And I don't want it to seem like we're snubbing Dumbledore or Ron. Dumbledore is already getting his spinoff in the Fantastic Beasts franchise. Mm, true. true. That is um, true. Yeah. And then Ron, I, I feel like Goblet of Fire would be his time well, yeah. to shine. In Sorcerer's Stone, Ron's perspective is Harry's perspective because Harry includes him. When he finds the Mirror of Erised, he brings Ron down. When exactly. they go to go through the trapdoor, Ron's along. You know, when they meet on the Hogwarts Express, Ron's there. Uh, so it's really, there's really no, they go to class together. They sleep together. They do all this stuff. Like they, they, they are not apart in the way that they are in Goblet of Fire, like you're saying, Laura. Yeah, I... I don't think Ron's story would sell in Sorcerer's Stone. I, I agree. Oh, <laughs> wow. I mean, I mean, what is it? What number Weasley is it going to Hogwarts already? At this point? <laughs> I would buy a Fred and George story. Six. Well, that would be interesting too, is um, Ron being the child of, you know, so having so many siblings to really try and stand out his internal struggle and like, you know, all the stuff he's heard about. Hogwarts and then figuring out that some of it was just jokes by Fred and George, like the wrestling a troll to get sorted kind of a thing. And there's something interesting there, but yeah, I yeah, think largely I, later books would be better. I think we picked the right characters that could potentially sell books with their <laughs> stories in, in Sorcerer's Stone. No, I say I, even with Hermione, like, uh, Andrew, you brought up a really great example for Prisoner of Azkaban. I don't know if Hermione's perspective in Sorcerer's Stone would sell a book, other than it being somebody of, you know, non-magical blood who's coming to a wizarding school, you could probably spin that a little bit. But I just I don't think that it would it would pass the test. No, I see your point. Yeah. You gotta you gotta have a compelling story. And if if it's not there for Ron, it's not there for Ron in book one. Now that said, regarding Dumbledore, I want a Sorcerer's Stone from Dumbledore's perspective just in the uh, beginning of Sorcerer's Stone, the the missing day. I want to figure out where he was those 24 <laughs> yeah, hours. Which we spoke about in episode 31 when I was listening back to that episode ah. for that clip. 
Neat. Um, by the way, one more point about the Hagrid spinoff book. How about a steamy love scene between Hagrid and Maxime mm. deep in a forest one night? Oh, yeah, why not? <laughs> Everyone deserves love. <laughs> okay, that was a fun discussion. If you have any feedback on the companion books we created today, or if you have your own ideas, write in. We'll share contact info at the end of today's episode. We did get a chicken soup uh, for the Muggle cast soul in this past week from, from an old listener who said, hey, everyone, it's been ages, decades even, since the last time I listened to this awesome podcast. Earlier today, I came across the latest episode on YouTube and instantly traveled back in time, back to 2006, when I was still in high school, downloading every single new episode, trying to figure out what would happen in the final book, listening to the MuggleCast theme song on my MP3 player, remember those? (laughs) Your passion, knowledge, and love for the Harry Potter world is an inspiration. I'm going to catch up on all the episodes I've missed, a few hundred of them. Missed you guys. Take care, stay safe, and keep it up. This is from Costas in Athens. So that's awesome. The listener who has refound us. Yeah. Love it. And through YouTube, which is interesting. We actually do upload each episode of MuggleCast to YouTube. Some people like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, believe it or not. Uh, The episodes don't get much activity there, but it looks like thanks to our YouTube uploads, that's how Costas discovered us. So that made it all worth it. I got to say, I was home recently. I didn't send this picture. I meant to put it in the Slack, but I found my old CDs of uh, MuggleCast episodes. So I put like... And, you know, one, because they were, I think the limit was like 70 minutes for an audio CD. So only episode seven and only episode eight were on a a CD that I had. That's funny. I still have CDs or DVDs with the original files for MuggleCast episodes, like one through seven or something like that. I don't know why. Uncensored? (laughs) Unedited? Just like the original, like. Yeah, kind of like the original tracks, I think. I don't know why I burned them like to a data CD. CDs well, or DVDs. I think but... CDs were actually a, a, a reasonable, like, because that was when CD writers were like pretty common. Mm-hmm. And at least, you know, my dad had one. So it's like, that seemed to be a reasonable uh, portable media device because thumb drives weren't really yet a thing and yeah. portable hard drives were big and expensive. So CDs were really like quick and easy the way that floppies were. And and then you would take the CDs and you'd put them in your car. So you burn a a new mixtape to a CD and then you pop it in your car. Like that was so much fun. um, One of those spindles and it holds like, you know, 50 of them. Right, right. You you burn your CD on in iTunes. That was always so cool. We're old. Anyway, welcome back, Costas. We missed you. Okay, it's time now for Quizage. Last week's question, which actress reportedly turned down the role of the witch Sybil Trelawney in Prisoner of Azkaban because she did not believe boarding school life should be glorified? Actually, so there was a little bit of a hint in the question itself. An actress who played the witch, uh, meaning the white witch, Tilda Swinton. Uh, She actually was going to play the role of Trelawney. Um, but, or not going to, but was asked to and, and declined because she thought Harry Potter books glorified boarding school life. I mean, I, I appreciate a political stance coming from an actor like that. That is strange, but okay. But she was cool with the Chronicles of Narnia. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know there's not a a wardrobe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's not a whole lot of boarding school, but it's, no, 
it is pretty interesting (laughs) we had a couple of winners this week congratulations to christina time traveling unicorn kate lang or sorry kate yang lance dance robbie stillman bort voldemort billy reardon and zoom tarot and next week's question what is albus dumbledore's favorite flavor of jam (laughs) <laughs> this is in the books too this is in the main main series send your answer in via twitter our username is mugglecast be sure to follow us there also follow us on instagram and facebook usernames there also mugglecast definitely a good week to follow us on social media because our social media manager manager jewel was busy making lots of photoshops of recent discussions we would also love your support on patreon patreon.com slash mugglecast you get access to our recording studio as we record each weekend you also get early access to the show once we finish editing it you also get ad free mugglecast thank you to all of our patrons including the many who are joining us this saturday morning as we record If you have any feedback about today's episode, you can email mugglecast at gmail.com or use the contact form on mugglecast.com or send a voice memo to mugglecast at gmail.com. Just try to keep your message around a minute long or call us 1-920-3-MUGGLE. That's 1-920-368-4453. And if you love the show, tell a friend about the show or we would appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show if they have a review system. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.